unders. Um, you know, it's an interesting reality that uh, we call the king of wonders, we know the king of wonders, and yet, uh, hey Nick, do you know where my stand is? And, um, <laughs> you know where mine, that'd be great. And we wonder what in the world's going on. Thanks, man. Thanks. Um, I've had the chance over my life so far just to be able to uh, go to a lot of places, see a lot of things, meet a lot of people. One of the things I've noticed is there's a big disconnect that's going on. Uh, it really doesn't matter if it's Midwest, East Coast, West Coast, South Coast. It really doesn't matter if it's America, if it's Europe, if it's Tokyo, if it's Canada, Africa, Romania. It really doesn't matter if it's uh, single, married, rich, poor, young, old. I've just observed there's a great disconnect going on. And in fact, I could prove it with a stat. Do you realize that eight out of ten high schoolers today in America, after they get out of high school and get on their own, basically eight out of ten high schoolers bag the church? And then when you take that and add on to that, that uh, 64% of those when they graduate from college, uh, I'll take it bag the church again. And, uh, thanks man. There was just a big disconnect going on. And, uh, I'm concerned. And here's the thing, God is too. And that's what's even better. Uh, what am I talking about? Have you just noticed in your life, it just seems, seriously, it seems like there are those individuals who like, they're just connected with God. And I'm not just talking about they talk about it. I'm talking about you look at their life and you just go, dude, you are so like, you're different. I mean, the whole God and you thing, it's real. It, it, it shows in your relationships. It shows in your work. It just shows in you and what you're about. And then there are those who, who it's just not connected. And I'm not talking about the ones who are like, hey, listen, the, the, the God thing, pfft, I'm out. Good for you, but not for me. I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about people who even like say, you know, I'm a follower of Christ. And yet when it comes right down to it, whether it's times in life, and listen, this is not about any of us being perfect, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about times in life where it's just disconnected. And it's just like, what's going on here? Where's the connection consistently over the long haul? Changed life. And uh, we all know what it's like to live distant from God. Maybe today you're here and that's you. Or just a sense of being disconnected. And it's like, what's going on? Why is this? Well, here's the hope. I believe the Bible tells us the core reason as to what's going on. 
as to why that is the case. And, and, and the Bible says that I think the core reason for that is all about who we fear. Now, when I say fear, I'm not talking about like, boo, you know, kind of a fear, like, you know, you are so dead kind of a fear. I'm talking about this. I define the, the biblical fear of God in two factors. There's a wow factor and an oh my factor. The wow factor is like, God, whoa, wow, that is God. How cool can that be? That is the creator, God. And it makes you just want to run to him. And then there's the oh my factor at the same time. Because it's not just all about that. Because it's the oh my thing. It's like, oh my, that is God. It's the I bow my life to. It's the that is God. He is holy. He is God. And I am not. And we look in the scriptures and we see this terminology about the fear of the Lord. And the fear is the wow and the oh my factor. It's the who I bow my life to reality. It, who I fear is what I, what I fear is what I hold high. What I fear is what I worship. What I fear is what I want out of life. It's what I want. Think about this. If I want as the objective of my life, or even in a moment of life, if I want happiness as my objective. Listen, my choices, my worldview at that moment on the consistent is going to be vastly different than someone else who happiness isn't the objective of their life. If I want happiness, life is going to flow and fall out of that objective. If I want success and power or fame or, or security, how I make decisions, how I go about life is going to come out of that what I fear, what I want reality. If I want peace and no conflict in my life, that is going to impact how I live in relationships with people significantly so. If it's about my image, in other words, it's about, I'm the cool guy. If it's just about, I'm the bad boy. If it's, if whatever the image is, that's the thing that's going to drive. That's the thing that I want. That's the thing that I worship. That's the thing that I see and know and drives my life. Those things that I hold high, I bow my life to. So, question. As we get started this morning, what do you fear? Uh, biblically fear. What do you want? What is it that you worship? What is it that drives your life? By the way, P.S. I don't know is not an acceptable answer. Because every moment of every day is about me wanting something. God says he wants us to fear him. God says he wants us to worship him. God says he wants us to want him. And here's, I love this part about it. Because God is not concerned about the question of why. Why should I fear you? Why should I live for you? God is not ticked off by that question one bit. In fact, here's the deal. God says... I want to show you 
so that you know why I am the one to live for. See and know me. See and know me. I want you to know why you should live for me. And God lays it out and he says this. Listen, fear me, proclaim me, serve me. Why? Because I am the Lord, because the earth is mine, and because there is no one like me. And you know what? I can prove that. And in fact, let's do that today. Because here's the thing. If you come today and you're at a place where it's like, man, Doug, I'm just honest. I'm just humbly, I'm pleased right now because my life is just connected with the Lord. Things are moving. There's a dynamic relationship there that's going. I'm growing and changing. I'm learning. I'm just thrilled about what's taking place in my life for God's glory right now. Listen, our time in the scripture today is going to be a great encouragement to you to persevere. You are on track. Keep at it, brother. Keep at it, sister. And yet, if you're here today where it's like, Doug, I got to tell you, this is my story right now. I'm just kind of like God schmod. I don't know what's going on. I don't feel any kind of relationship there. You've talked about that. And I don't know what's going on, but this is what I feel right now. Listen, as we go to our text today, this is, I believe, for you, going to be a great help for you. Because there's a reason why God wants us parked over there. And he's going to show us. You ready to go? Let's go. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8. And let me pray for us. Oh Lord, I pray our time in your word this morning would be rich. Father, this is certainly not about me. This is about you. And Lord, right now, I pray that this time is a bowing and a seeing and a knowing before you. May it be rich in your eyes. May you use your word. And may we listen and see and know. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we are in the land of Egypt. We're in Exodus chapter 8. Yet uh, last week we were in Exodus chapter 7. Just a reminder running into chapter 8, God begins showing himself to Pharaoh. Shows himself to leaders and he turns the staff into a snake. So very cool. Want to be there, wanted to be there to see that. Turns it into a snake, but so do the magicians. But Moses' snake eats their snakes. Game on, boys. Remember last week? Uh huh. Then later in chapter 7, he turns the Nile into the blood. But so do the magicians. Game on. And then in chapter 17, verse, or chapter 7, verse 17, it says this. Why is all this happening? Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Well, let's go into chapter 8. By the way, we are going from chapter 8 through chapter 10 today. Um, and if you don't have a Bible with you, you're going to want one. So if you don't have a Bible with you today, we've got some people who are going to be coming around with the Bible. We'd love to have you borrow one here as we go through, because we're going to be reading through. We're going to do a lot of reading. I had to make a decision this week on how do we go about this? Do we cover each plague, like one at a time? Do we cover like some groups of them? We're doing the whole chunk 
from plague two to plague nine. So today's a lot of reading, but just this, this is the deal. Why is God doing this? The big picture overarching thing. Why is God doing this? Let's take a look and with what we were talking about earlier and let's just let the scripture speak. So chapter seven, verse 25, seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Chapter eight, verse one. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Hey, if you're an underliner, marker in your Bible, uh, underline that, that they may serve me. This is going to be a reoccurring theme as we see in these chapters. And this is a big deal. Understand this as we see, in fact, I'm going to wait. I'm going to hold that till later. We'll come up. Let my people go. I'm getting too excited that they may serve me. Verse two, but if you refuse to let them go, go, behold, I will plague. It's like a strike. I will strike you. I will plague all your country with frogs. Understand this, frogs. Frogs were the fertility symbol. We so don't get that now. Like, what's with that? Well, Hecate, the goddess of the resurrection, goddess of resurrection, fertility, and childbirth, had the head of a frog. Hey, doesn't that thrill you? You know, you're thinking about wanting to have a baby, and so you're praying to the a head of a, a frog head. But that's what was taking place. And so God is going after Hecate, the head of a frog. And here it is, verse 3. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house, into your bedroom, and on your bed, into the houses of your servants and your people, and into your ovens, and in your kneading bowls. All together, ooh, okay. Verse 5. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron... Search out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make frogs come up out of the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. Slimed. Verse 7. But get this. The magicians did the same by their secret arts. Are you kidding me? And made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Verse 8, then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, plead with the Lord. Oh, isn't that cool? Well, why couldn't the magicians, if they could bring frogs out, why couldn't they stop them? And so Pharaoh goes to Moses and says, hey, will you plead? Your... Listen, there's incredible theology already being taught right at this moment. Pharaoh was understanding, listen, you bring them out, please go to your God and pray to him. Because maybe he could do something. And Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people to go sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the aisle. And he, Pharaoh, said, How about tomorrow? Do it tomorrow, Moses. So Moses said, I'm like, Tomorrow? Dude, like now? <laughs> but... Moses said, be it as you say, look at this, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord God. We have covered this in the last couple of weeks over and over again. We see in the text, God wants Egypt, God wants the Israelites to know he is the Lord. 
Verse 11, the frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs. (laughs) I wonder what he said. But as he had agreed with Pharaoh and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. By the way, isn't that a cool statement? The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. Folks, go back. I'm just amazed at the time of this. They didn't have bobcats and backhoes and and, and scoopers and caterpillar machines and all this kind of stuff, and there are frogs just everywhere, and they're heaping them up, and dead frogs. I mean, we go like to a lake or a pond, and there's like one or two dead frogs, and it's like, ew, you know, and our kids are freaking out by it, and they've got piles of them everywhere. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, there was a relief, I think the NIV says, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Plague number three. Then the Lord said to Moses, by the way, notice you'll see in these, except for one of these, it's hard to attach how long was the time period from plague one to plague two and plague two to plague three. Was it like a few days or was it, was it the week? Because at the end of chapter seven, it says seven full days passed. Does that mean then that right after seven full days or frankly, it could have been months. It could have been weeks. We really don't know with some of this. But at some point in time, the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. Now understand this. The Egyptians and priests were OCD fanatics about cleanliness. And the processes that they would go through in cleanliness, because that's how they became acceptable to the Lord, was that they, be, that they cleaned themselves again and again and again and again throughout the day. So you've got to take that into account with what's about to happen. Plus this, uh, uh, Set was the god of the desert. Now, we're going to find out who is the god of the desert. Uh, Yahweh. Verse 17, and they did so, and Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff, struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. By the way, the word for gnats here, it could be like a a gnat that doesn't bite. It could be more like a mosquito biting possibility. We don't quite know for sure, but we do know this. They're annoying, right? You know, like you go out there and you hold your hand up. Have you ever learned that when you're a kid? You hold your hand up because the gnats go up to the hand. They go to the highest point. And I'm like, that ain't working. (laughs) Especially now with a balding head. It doesn't help. But it's just like in the process of what's taking place. And all the dust of the earth became gnats in the whole land of Egypt. Who is the god of the desert now? Verse 18, the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but what? They could not. Now, game on. Listen, I don't have time to go into it, but I just want to bring into this the reality that uh, God is sovereign over all things, and even Satan is under God's authority. And in this, it was time God allowed Satan to be able to do some of these things, and yet now it's the time to stop. 
And as we talked about last week, Pharaoh's worldview, not impressed. Listen, you turn the snake to this, fine, so do my boys. You turn the Nile to blood, fine, so do my boys. You turn, what was the prior one, the frogs on their earth that come out, so do my boys. Listen, your God is not impressing me a whole lot here. But now it's time to bring the heat. And God does. And the magicians tried it, but they could not, so that there were gnats on man and beast. Verse 19. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, What? What a teaching moment. They couldn't do it. And they know, listen, this doesn't happen by just someone going out there and willy nilly and around. This was the finger of God. Mm, love that. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Verse 20, plague number 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning, present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water, similar like he did to the Nile, turning to blood, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go. What? What's the next statement? That they may serve me. Underline that and keep that in mind. Verse 21, Or else, if you will not go, let my... Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people. And into your houses and the houses of the Egyptians shall, build with sw- shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on the day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies will be there. Oh, listen, this is a coolest teaching moment for the Israelites. If you're here last week, we talked about how the Israelites, uh, Ezekiel chapter 20, the Israelites at that period of time, they were not like committed to Yahweh. They were involved in the Egyptian God worship process. This is not just about a judgment. This is about God revealing himself, showing himself to Moses, to Aaron, to the Egyptians, and to the Israelites. And can you imagine you're in, in the land of Goshen, you're a Hebrew, you're an Israelite, and you look, what did that look like? Was there like a wall? And it stopped, and you like walk up to the wall, and you go, nah, 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 fly, come get, you know, I don't know what's going on, how that works. But can you imagine just for the Israelites themselves, what that was teaching them about Yahweh? God is a protector. God cares for his own. It's not that God is just about making my life easy and comfortable, but God will protect his own. And God brings judgment on those who are hard-hearted to him. And I would say this, God brings judgment and God brings pain into their life out of love for them, that they would come to know that he is the Lord. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there. Listen, God is in control of every fly You're a fly. And there they are, I don't know, bazillions of these, whatever that number means. But there's lots. And there's flies everywhere out of the land of Egypt. And you're a fly. And you're doing your fly thing around. And you like, you see something over there that you want to go to. I don't know how this works. But, you know, there they are flying around. And is it like they try and fly there and boom, they can't? Or God literally controls the fly. If God can control a bazillion flies, is not God intricately involved in the reality of our life? By the way, the whole theological concept of deism is out the door. That God created everything and now sits back uninvolved and just watching and letting it happen. Not 
God is involved in the details. He knows exactly what's going on. And if he can control a bazillion flies, he is in force and he is over control of all things that are happening. How encouraging is that? And yet at the same time, how scratch our head is that? Okay? Verse 24, and the Lord did so. I'm sorry, verse 23. Thus I will put a division. Ah, Let me go before. Verse 22 and a half. At the end of 22, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Not just that I am the Lord, but even beyond that. I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. I am actively involved in what's taking place on the earth. Verse 23, thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. Verse 24, and the Lord did so. There came a great swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses throughout all the land of Egypt, and the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egypt's Egyptians. And if we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, they will, will they not stone us? Listen, here's the deal. Basically, Pharaoh was saying, Listen, go, don't go far. Moses is saying, no, that doesn't work because the Egyptians are still going to be able to see us and they're going to be able to see us doing sacrifices or whatever the Lord would have us do to animals and things that they worship, which is going to cause them in a tither and they're going to fight. No, that's not the way this works, Moses talks. Verse 27, we must go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. (laughs) Then Moses said, behold, I am going out from you and I will plead with the Lord and the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people tomorrow. (laughs) Those words keep coming back. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. Not one remained. God is involved in the details, friend. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Chapter 9, then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go. What? that they may serve me. Verse 2, for if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall into a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field and the horses and the donkeys and the camels, the herds and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. Yeah, Uh uh-huh. So that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time saying, tomorrow... The Lord will do this thing in the land. The next day, the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. Can you imagine that? Hey, uh, uh, Billy Bob, uh, go over there and see what's happening because we heard they had no flies. And let's see if their cattle are dying. They come back, not one's dead. Now, there was an awkward moment in that conversation because how do you handle that? Mm. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people go. And the Lord said to Moses, plague number six, 
The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh and Moses threw it into the air and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Again, God hardened a hardened heart. And he did not listen to them. And the Lord had spoken to Moses. Plague number seven. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh. And say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go, what? That they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. Listen, so we talked about a week or two ago, God could have at any moment in time plucked Israelites out of Egypt and placed them over. At any moment in time. But God is about showing himself that all would know. For by now I could have put my hand and struck you and yours. Verse 16, but for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be claimed in all the earth Here's the problem, verse 17, love this, but you are still exalting yourself. That's the issue, folks. There's the source of the disconnect. That's the fear of self over the fear of God. There's two choices on the shelf, worship self or worship God. Two choices. You are still exalting yourself against my people and not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, God just keeps bringing that one up back. Tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast is in the field and is not brought home, will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever, what? feared the word of the Lord. You see the difference between verse 17? You are exalting yourself, but now you've exalted God's word. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord, whoever did not fear the word of the Lord, left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail such as never had been seen in Egypt before. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Listen, this is all states and State Farm's worst nightmare ever. <laughs> 26, only in the land of Goshen where, Goshen, where the people of Israel, was there no hail. Oh, God is so cool. 
Verse 27, then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, this time I have sinned. Wow. This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail, and I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Wow, is, Mo- is Pharaoh repenting? Uh, verse 29, Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of this city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. Wow, you could so take this and take it to Mark chapter 4 and the parable of the sowing of the seed and the four responses to the, to the sowing of the word. And we have two and three that are happening right here. Oh, they rejoice, they rejoice, they rejoice. They proclaim, I believe in Christ, I believe in Christ, I believe in Christ. And then the things of the world or the hard reality of life living under God becomes, I thought this was answers for life. I thought he would give me health and wealth and prosperity. I'm out. Pharaoh had not really repented yet. Verse 31, actually let's jump down to verse 33. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, stretched out his hand to the Lord and the thunder and the hail ceased. And the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart. This is not a repentant heart. This was a hardened heart that didn't like the things that God was bringing upon him. And listen, God was bringing these upon him that he would see and know God. God in love ultimately is giving him the chance to repent. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people of Israel go. Chapter 10, hang with me, we're almost there. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show the signs of me. See, God isn't done as well. And that you may tell the hearing of your son and of your grandsons, how I have dealt harshly with the Egypts and the signs that I have done among them. Listen, God wants us to know that he is the Lord. God wants us to know that he is in the midst of the earth. And God wants us to proclaim him to others and in coming generations. That's why the statistic that eight out of 10 teens are bagging it after they leave home. And that should grieve us. And rather than blaming the generation, or if you're older, blaming the past generation for the bagging that's happened, seriously, there comes a point in time where we need to take responsibility for what's taken place. And we take ownership and go, what are we doing wrong? Sermon a different day. Verse 3, so, so, so Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. Now that's covering it. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field, and they shall fill your houses and the houses of your servants and all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen. I'm just telling you, I was mowing the yard yesterday, and I had two little dinky crickets jump on my, jump on my leg, and it annoyed me. Can you imagine this? 
And then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? And you add all these up, it's just ruined. Verse 8, so Moses and Aaron went, brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go, Moses said. We, he, Moses knows this boy. We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and daughters and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast of the Lord. But Pharaoh said to the Lord, be with you if I ever let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go. The men among you and serve the Lord that is there you ask. Uh, verse 12, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the for the locusts, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail had left. So Moses did it. And it covers the earth. Let's jump down to verse 17. I'm sorry, actually, uh, verse 16. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Is he repenting now? Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please. Oh, man, he's saying the right words. Only this once and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord and the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Would have liked to have seen that. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. Not a single one. That is a detailed God. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the people of Israel go. Final paragraph. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. Love that. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for how many days? Three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light. Where the, now, how could that happen? Because I would be moving over to the border. You know, coming because the light, doesn't light carry over into darkness? In fact, if you've got that much light and it's this dark, isn't that light like carrying over like a half mile over? I'm just going to say, I don't know what God did. And I don't know how that all worked. But it sounds like over here with the Israelites, there was light. And wherever the Egyptians were, there was what? And how that all works? Listen, God is the incredible physics professor of the universe. But Moses said, uh, verse 25, you must also let us have sacrifices and burn offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take them to serve the Lord our God. And I love this. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. Oh, I really wanted to park on that one for a week. I'm dead serious. But we just can't with where we're going. And I just want to say this. Sometimes it's like, I don't even know what it looks like to live for Christ. I have no idea what that even is to be shaped out. But I do know this. I want to place myself under that. And then I'm going to learn. And that gives so much hope to all of us. That we are in the learning process of what's taking place. Verse 27, as we finish, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day, do you think Pharaoh's mad? For on the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. Wow, in these last couple minutes, you see a note on your page and are wondering, like, what's with this? 
here's what's with this very simple closing. I want to wrap it up because big part today, I wanted to read a lot of text and let the text, let the narrative speak. But let me bring a couple things together. God has communicated the problem to us. Remember the disconnect issue? God has communicated what the problem is. And we saw it in the text. In chapter 9, verse 17, it said, you exalt yourself. In chapter 9, verse 30, it says, you do not fear the Lord. That's the reason. And you refuse to humble yourself. Chapter 10, verse 3. Listen, that's the problem. And folks, every one of us have this disease whether you know Christ or not, we are in a battle and this is the problem because I go through my day and there are times when I want to exalt myself. I don't want to fear God. I want to live for me and I don't want to humble myself to the Lord. And God is working me and refining me and teaching me and that includes God even bringing hard things into my life on purpose to teach me more about him. But that's the problem. But God has communicated the solution. And by the way, it's a knowledge issue here for this solution. Here's the solution. Listen, know that he is the Lord and you are not. Know that the earth is his. It is his. Listen, my life isn't mine. My time isn't mine. That's why Paul said, I'm a prisoner of Christ. The earth is his. Know that there is no one like him. No one like him. No piddly little God. No thing like happiness is the God of happiness, the God of prosperity, the God of health and wealth and all this. Listen, those are idols of life. They're not bad. But when they become the thing, then there's a problem because there is no one like him. Listen, there's the problem, there's the solution, and God has com communicated the result or our response to this. Listen, I am to be about placing myself under him. That's what it's about. I am to be about placing myself under him, and I just go, that is so cool to be able to be placed under him. And I am about serving him. Remember all those times? God didn't say, I want you to come out and let's have some Starbucks together and just hang. I like Starbucks. I go there almost every day. But God's terminology was, come that you serve me. And I want to say this. If you have the thinking, if you have the theology that placing myself under Jesus Christ, placing myself under the Lord God means that now I just get to cush back and wait for eternity, you're not getting what God's talking about. God's talking about, look, place yourself under me and live for me. Fear me, want me, worship me. I created you to bring me glory. Give me glory. I'm in Man, I wish it were easier. One day, there will be no more tears. I'm about being placed under him. I'm about serving him. And lastly, I'm about proclaiming his name and holding him high. I love the verse where it talked about to the next generation. Oh, folks, we need to be telling stories of the Lord's work in the scriptures and the Lord's work in our life. And if right now it's like a desert season, if you're like, I just dug, that is me right there. That picture's me. You nailed it right with an image. I just want to say, look at what God was doing here. God was showing himself so that we also can know that he is the Lord. 
And God, when he shows himself, expects a response. And there's two kinds of responses we can make with our life. We can either say, I place myself under, like we talked the other week, I place myself under and I'm here to serve you, or I don't. And by the way, remember, we don't, there's the choice where I can just say, forget it, I'm out. Whatever, good for you, not for me. But here's really what I'm talking about. I've kind of placed myself under, but I'm playing out. Remember? Listen, God says, serve me, fear me. Wow, oh my, live for me. And if you need help, we've got some people here that would love to come alongside you and help you to grow and change as we do that as a body for Christ. Hey, let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much just for the powerful word of God that I love because it tells us about you. Lord, I thank you that you want us to see and to know you. And we know that because you've shown yourself. You've shown yourself in the scriptures. You've shown yourself in Christ. And you've shown yourself in the work of the cross. And you've shown yourself here in this church as well, frankly. Lord, we struggle with living under you. We need your help. We need each other's help. Help me to fear you. Help us to fear you. May we not be like Pharaoh. But in joyful obedience... May our commitment to live for you show who we worship shows in our life. Wow. Oh my. You are the Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.